0: Welcome to this next installment of the GE Energy Consulting Insights Podcast. Our guest today is Jason McDowell, and we're going to be talking about the evolution of the Chinese energy industry. Jason, welcome.
1: Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So let's start off with uh, just a basic question. What are some of the major challenges that are facing the Chinese energy industry today?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it's really exciting to see how China has evolved in uh, the growth uh, and accommodating their growing power needs. Um, There has been a lot of change that has happened, uh, particularly regarding how China has built out their power grid. But even before we get into the power grid aspect, um, taking a step back, there has been a lot of uh, demand increase in China, demand for energy. Uh, Starting with the fact that China Mm -hmm. Uh, a few decades ago really had um, experienced uh, a big dichotomy of their growth Uh, there certainly was a lot of growth in the big cities so Beijing and Shanghai and Guangzhou uh, there has been a lot of uh, uh, folks that travel from uh, the rural parts of China into the urban parts and therefore the cities have been growing in terms of population uh, and in terms of the energy demand
0: so, Jason, talk to us and tell our listeners a little bit
1: about how the load has changed in China. Yeah, thanks. That's a great question, Jason. It's really has evolved because uh, two things are happening. One, the load has been growing tremendously in the major urban areas because folks uh, from the countryside are coming into the big cities uh, and uh, there's a lot more growth of the economy in the big cities. The quality of life is increasing and modernizing in the big cities. So there's a big attraction there and the growth. Uh, of the population is really driving a lot of growth of energy demand. In addition to that, uh, there's uh, an empowerment uh, of the rural areas of China as well. Areas that have never seen the luxury uh, of electricity, uh, luxury of communication, the luxury of modern life. Uh, And the Chinese government is really focused a lot around uh, bringing power and bringing communications and modern quality of life into these areas uh, and it starts with rural electrification. So there is a lot of emphasis on making sure that um, the Chinese population at large has access to modern uh, electricity and communication and a modern way of life.
0: So, Jason, you know, there are ambitious uh Goals here from the Chinese government, uh, bringing power to places that haven't had it before. What are some of the challenges standing in the way of meeting these uh, these objectives? Yeah, thanks, Jason. That was a good question. I think um,
1: in the past, uh, the Chinese power system was really uh, a single fuel source or close to a single fuel source. Uh, Burning coal was their primary means of bulk power generation. And given the fact that the load has grown so quickly... They haven't been able to build large coal power plants fast enough to really keep up with the demand through uh, the middle part of the last decade, you know, 2005, 2006. So, therefore, there was a deficiency of generation to meet the demand. They would operate their power system by shedding load by turning off cities to keep the frequency where it needed to be and keep the load and generation balanced, which, you know, if you talk to anyone in the West about that, that's very, very odd because you, um, in the West, you have a lot of folks, uh, a lot of power systems that will operate based on changing generation to meet load demand, not turning off the load, right? So, uh, however, in 2007, China turned a surplus of generation and that surplus now allows them to have a choice of what fuels they could use to operate Um, it allows them to give a lot more robustness and reliability to building out their system in 2007 um, they did have a surplus of generation but they also had a still a deficiency of transmission capability to get that power from from the generation side to the load. Uh, so there has been a lot of uh, attention paid to making sure power generation is going in where it needs to be and the grid transmission and distribution system is built out to, to transmit that power to load. The, um, the other aspect that's really driving this is the environment, is the quality uh, particularly of the air. Uh, in China, and there's three aspects that uh, really drive this uh, for China today. Power generation is certainly a big one, but it's not the only one. There's, As we all know, there's a lot more focus on getting all of our our products uh, from China today, and there's really a big shift that's happened over the past decade of manufacturers going to China because uh, you know of the uh, the benefits uh, for manufacturing in China in terms of economics Um, that has led a lot of industrial growth a lot of factories and those factories uh, tend to pollute a lot more tend to emit a lot more uh, stuff that's not good for the environment right so um, there's certainly a lot of focus paid now up by the Chinese government to make sure that um, there's some regulations in place, so pollution doesn't happen, um, but it's still a big challenge to try and you know keep up with the growing uh, pace of more manufacturing in China. Uh, the second is auto pollution as well. Uh, auto pollution uh, really has grown because many more people today are driving cars of their own relative to 10, 15 years ago. And as the population grows, um, obviously the more automobile traffic there are in the big cities the more air pollution there will be as well. So China has also taken steps to regulate uh, auto traffic, um, incentivizing public transportation where necessary, and in some cases trying to limit how often people are on the roads with their own automobiles. But uh, certainly power generation is one of the biggest pieces of this, and a lot of attention is being paid right now to trying to look at cleaner sources of energy uh, to accommodate the growing demand.
0: So, you know, when we talk about the growing demand, so specifically around power generation, uh, what has China done to tackle the challenges to bring uh, more renewable energy to the grid, uh, cleaner energy than what they're using now? Yeah, great. And I
1: I think that's one of the biggest areas that China has invested in. Um, And there has been a a big, um, a lot of attention and a big surge paid in many levels of the Chinese government. Um, at, at trying to evolve the, the power system uh, to accommodate renewable generation from a technical reliability aspect, as well as, uh, you know, a, an operational aspect and an economic aspect. So about 10 years ago, uh, the Chinese power grid really had codes and standards and regulations that um, addressed their incumbent generation. Coal-fired power plants with synchronous machines, they had a code, a grid code, that really focused a lot around how that technology worked. Um, and it was very specific to uh, the uh, synchronous machine technology uh, known for coal fired power plants. Uh, that, unfortunately, doesn't necessarily directly translate to um, the, the types of power generation that wind and solar really are, are known for wind and solar have a lot of different characteristics Uh, they're first of all inherently variable in nature Um, uh, there's some uncertainty associated with it so the variability and uncertainty piece adds uh, certainly a challenge for a power grid that is um, not quite so flexible just because they're used to burning coal and coal-fired power generation obviously is not that flexible so uh, that's one of the challenges that, that china has been trying to tackle um, the other challenge is in inherently in the codes themselves. The language has not uh, was not there initially to accommodate uh, renewable power generation with inverter-based or converter-based technology. Um, so um, I can tell you from GE's perspective, we have been uh, hand-in-hand working with them a lot on trying to develop uh, codes and standards and grid codes to understand what should be in place for, from a reliability aspect um, and making sure that the renewable wind and solar generation have functions and features to support the grid in normal operation and in disturbed operation so that um, the system can be reliable and you don't get a lot of, um, uh, of um, instabilities, you don't get a lot of blackouts, you, you, you don't have a lot of issues when you're trying to accommodate large portions of generation in the grid. Um, so that's, that's what happened roughly 10 years ago. Um, and today, the by and large, most of the generation that's installed must have a base of features like voltage ride-through, frequency uh, response, uh, voltage regulation, um, and ramping capability, curtailment, those sort of things, just like any other power plant would, uh, to make it act and, and feel and be operated like a bulk system plant to support the grid. Um, once that happened, um, there is a lot more focus on getting the operational piece right. And the operations was really more focused around how do you uh, dispatch all the other generation around wind and solar. Um, wind particularly uh, in China is planned very centrally. So there are a lot of wind plants in very wind-rich areas in the northwestern part of China and also in the northeastern part of China. Um, it's becoming uh, very prolific. Uh, China, just like the rest of the world, places wind plants where it's windy. And in China, in the northwestern part of China, there's not quite as much population. So the, the energy that's generated from these wind plants needs to be transmitted for a long distance Uh, in order for it to serve its load. And that is very challenging from an operational point of view and from a reliability point of view. So, um, uh, you know, these challenges um, really uh, are tackled by having a a good robust set of requirements and um, a means for economic dispatch in order to know how to dispatch wind, um, uh, or I should say dispatch coal uh, based on what is going on in wind uh, or based on what's happening with the solar so that you know you you have uh, a, a good robust way for those power plants to work together um, I think based on that this is uh, you know uh, going a long way to have China accommodate as much wind as, as they can and as much solar as they can.
0: So, Jason, tell us a little bit about where China is today in the country's quest to accommodate more clean energy. Yeah, thanks, Jason. So
1: um, I think the best way to answer that uh, is to start by telling a bit about my experience when I used to live uh, in China from 2004 to 2007, Um, and in that period of time, China was going through uh, a lot of evolution of their policy development around uh, what are the targets and how did they really want to accommodate uh, more renewable energy from uh, kind of a top-down policy uh, approach. So in 2004, China wanted to integrate roughly 20 gigawatts of wind generation by 2020. And in order to do that, uh, policy in terms of grid codes Uh, and and regulations for functions and features and performance of plants as well as tariff structure and uh, economic trading of energy all needed to be um, Developed in order to accommodate it. Well um, over the past 10 years or so that has really been developed quite a bit and um, You know GE has been a part of uh, advising and, and developing that with the Chinese government and today Uh, China has revised their targets to be more than 200 gigawatts by 2020. So, you know, an order of magnitude over what what they thought was possible 10 years ago. And, um, you know, I really think they are, are... going to meet their target by by 2020. Uh, It's looking uh, very feasible regarding how they've grown all of their policy structure to get there. So another aspect that China has really been focusing on in addition to the policy development um, is really standardization uh, of many of their industries. Um, And that has allowed uh, a lot more international trade um, and more more business coming in and fostering a lot more uh, international cooperation between uh, the Chinese government and other large economies around the world, namely the U.S. Uh, So today there is a lot of cooperation uh, that is happening between uh, the U.S. governments in terms of the U.S. DOE, um, some of the national energy laboratories, particularly NREL, Uh, GE is certainly involved in that as well, to do uh, a host of system studies, evaluations, and um, uh, also around policy development as well to see what would it take to accommodate more renewable generation in the future. So they're really trying to uh, task up for understanding what needs to change to really grow a lot bigger than even the 200 gigawatts that they have in 2020
0: today. Well, wow, that's amazing. So. With that in mind, I guess where do you see the country going from here? What's the what's the future look like? Well, when I was in Beijing
1: last September, um, we talked with the National Energy Administration, uh, with the Chinese uh, uh, Electric Power Research Institute, and um, also with a lot of the policymakers at very high levels in the Chinese government at the NDRC, and we were all brainstorming uh, about how to get to anywhere from 60 to 80 percent renewable penetration by capacity by the year 2050 and that's a very ambitious goal i think it's something that the chinese i applaud the chinese government on trying to get to where they where that target really leads us Uh, that it will be a fundamental game-changing regime for them there's a lot of things that will need to to happen in order to accommodate that but in the end their goal will really lead to some very big changes in operational practice um, and changes also uh, in, in, uh, in energy policy uh, that will really change the face of their power system today. But uh, the nice thing about having that happen is they would really be able to tackle a very big portion of their, uh, the issue related to air quality that they're facing today.
0: So let me ask you one more question. You know, one of the things that came up uh, during the Sierra Week presentations a couple weeks ago uh, was the Chinese government's uh, notion of building uh, super high-capacity transmission lines uh, to be able to sell power into Europe from from their mainland. Uh, Tell tell us a little about what exactly does this mean, what are they thinking, And, and do we think this is... Uh, from a technical perspective, one, feasible, and then two, economical? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. And it's, it's an example of the
1: forward-looking um, you know, aspect of, of what China is trying to do to grow uh, their economy, uh, their security for an energy perspective, and their footprint in the rest of the world. Um, so China has been looking at growing uh, this uh, transmission and distribution space uh, for, again, the past decade. I talked a lot about generation before. Let's talk a little bit more about um, their, their transmission build-out as well. Uh, China, out of any place in the world, is uh, investing in bulk power system um, transmission lines at 1,000 kV and above. Uh, they have several lines right now that have been constructed and are capable of transmitting power at a thousand kv Um, if you take a look at anywhere else in the world you don't see too many other thousand kv lines uh, being utilized Uh, they are undergoing research right now uh, that that takes them up to uh, maybe as much as 1500 kv which is unprecedented anywhere else in the world and that research ultimately will, will lead them uh, to be able to transmit more power on the backbone uh, of the, the transmission network that connects the major cities around China Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou along the coast and I only anticipate with what is going on with your question around transmitting uh, you know super capacity uh, bulk power from China through uh, to through Europe um, is the vision of how they could trade energy um, you know, internationally as opposed to just generating and transmitting in their own country. So I, I wouldn't doubt that um, going forward, you, we're going to see a lot more emphasis on that. They're already doing that right now in terms of energy with gas pipelines. Uh, back in 2005 to 2006, they built uh, a very large gas pipeline coming through um, Eastern Europe, to, uh, through Kazakhstan, Russia, uh, going ultimately to Beijing and feeding a gas supply into the major cities. Most of that right now is not used for power generation. It's used for heating, it's used for cooking, it's used for residential and commercial and industrial applications. And whatever's left over from that is used for power generation. But there's a lot of talk now about um, feeding at least two pipelines uh, south from Siberia Uh, into meeting some of the demand. So I imagine that there will be a lot more emphasis on importing energy from other countries to meet their growing demand, not only counting on um, managing more generation and putting in more generation domestically.
0: Jason, fascinating insights. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. And don't forget to join us next time.